G'day folks, welcome to Pause and Listen, a podcast series brought to you by Big Dog Pet Foods, the leading pet nutrition provider in Australia with over 20 years of experience in the pet industry. We provide educational resources for pet parents and are proud of being transparent in everything we do. The podcast series is hosted by me, Johnny Manning, and we bring you interviews and deep dives into pet nutrition, pet care, training, and regular Ask a Vet segments. So thanks for tuning in. Now get your tails wagging and we'll get yapping. Good afternoon, good day, good evening, good morrow, pet owners, fair parents, lovers of all creatures, great and small. Welcome to Pause and Listen. This is a Big Dog Pet Foods podcast, but as always, it is the place for you to come to find out all manner of pet information. Now, my name is Johnny Manning. Today, I've got a very special guest, someone I speak to on the regular. She's the founder of Shy Tiger. She is a vet. She's the owner of Montalbert Veterinary Surgery. Uh, and it is the one, the only, the amazing Dr. Nicole Rouse. Dr. Nicole, g'day. Hi, Johnny. Thank you so much for having me. I always love coming on to chat to the big dog pet family. It's always a fun session. Yeah. Yeah. We love having you. Now, we've got a, an interesting topic to go through today, I think, uh, Dr. Nicole, because we, we touch on many different things when it comes to pet health, you know, dog health, cat health, but this one's a little bit more involved and it's a little bit more, I guess, scientific and technical, but I think it's super important. I want to talk about organ health. Now, I think the main organs we should focus on and please, you know, guide this conversation. I think if we go kidneys, pancreas, liver, how does that sit with you? They are my favourite ones when we're talking about diet because I think that they're, you know, they're familiar terms that lots of pet parents have heard about and they're also really practical organs that are really um, easily influenced by diet and diet quality and they're organs that pet parents can take practical measures to improve the health of which will then in turn improve their pets longevity and quality of life so they're absolutely i think they're great ones to go through would they also be kidneys that if maltreated can result in chronic illness as well? Absolutely, without a doubt. So what do the kidneys do? Do the kidneys in our, let's say our dogs, does it do the same thing that the kidneys do in people? They do, yeah, absolutely. So the kidneys essentially filter blood and produce urine, don't they? So right. um, yeah, we all know that you know, everyone urinates, humans, pets, we all urinate, and it is a byproduct of the kidneys filtering our blood. So they're getting ready, rid of the waste products of our blood So okay. and the toxins out of our blood. So you can imagine that that is such an important and integral role. And if the kidneys aren't functioning properly, you're going to get, you're going to get a buildup of toxins and waste products in in the body, and that's going to have some devastating consequences. So, uh, and we do we absolutely see kidney disease in our pets, um, really commonly in older cats. I think that's probably something a lot of people are familiar with, uh, older cats with kidney disease, but definitely in um, dogs as well. We see it in both of them. Yeah, interesting one with the cats. I can remember when I was um, working for a company in. Los Angeles that used to ship animals around the world. I remember we, we got these cats through and 
they had real trouble urinating and they were holding on to, to urine for so long and they were older cats. And uh, I actually had to get a vet in to, to induce them to actually pass mm. urine. And is that something that could be due to uh, reduced kidney function? Interestingly, the, um, the, there is a separate sort of condition with cats where they get a often a stress-induced uh, cystitis with their bladder. So obviously you've got... Um, the kidneys and then connected to your bladder and then the urine comes out through your urethra. So kidneys, ureter, bladder, urethra on your way out. Um, And when they're stressed, they build up inflammation in their bladder and it can actually block their their urethra, their exit out to, and that can then build up the bladder and that can put back pressure on the kidneys. So I guess that stress-induced inability to urinate will actually back pressure and put pressure on the kidneys rather than the kidneys causing that. But it's all, they're all interconnected. Um, the cats can have real trouble with their kidneys. Um, and I think what, what I find really interesting since I've become an integrative vet, I used to look at um, a lot of the food on the market and I thought, oh, well, kibble is so concentrated, the food, you know, it's only 10% water. So that's really good value for money, isn't it? you're not wasting your money paying for water like I had this mindset but then I realized as I learned more that cats really have quite a poor thirst drive and if you look at the way they eat naturally in the wild like little rats and mice and whatever they're about 70 percent water and, and so is fresh food like if you look at all the beautiful fresh foods out there like big dog um, they're all 70 percent water it's what they have yeah. normally so you've got to compare these these animals that should be having 70 percent water and now all of a sudden they're having 10 percent water and they don't naturally have a good thirst drop there's no way they're going to compensate and hit that sort of 70 percent and so you've got these poor cats that are walking around like chronically like low-grade dehydration that's not good for your kidneys is it like it's really quite heartbreaking when you when you think about it so they're naturally just slowly over time just getting a little bit of toxin build up year after year after year after year like their kidneys just aren't functioning optimally because we're not hydrating them optimally when we when they eat uh, kibble and I can't I just can't believe what a mindset shift that was for me when I realized what an important nutrient water is for our kidneys and our body it's it's incredible do, do wild cats you know the big cats the great cats do they have a low thirst drive as well is that common amongst all felines yeah absolutely yeah yeah I don't know how look I don't know how many scientific studies there are on it but they've certainly yeah. shown that cats just won't compensate um to the to the ability they have and and i guess in the zoos and and places like that they do do a better job of emulating what they would eat in nature so you know they yeah, don't go and sprinkle kibble for the zoo cats do they so no you always see them eating pretty much meat. fresh meat don't you yeah absolutely it's yeah. amazing so that's yeah, a, <laughs> it's funny no matter how many times or how long you're on the i guess you know the raw feeding journey there are still moments like that where it's it's like an old brand new penny drop moment, you know. Like oh, absolutely. You're right. You never see you, you you never see you know tigers being fed a bag of kibble in in a zoo, do you? They're always being fed fresh meat. Kind of makes sense, right? Absolutely, and there's not it's not a huge um, you know if you look at evolution, you look at modern dogs have been around what fifteen thousand years, like. It's not a huge step, isn't it? They're not domestic cats aren't that far away from 
their ancestors really. So it's not like their physiology is dramatically different um, and all of a sudden they're, you know, they've evolved to eat these high carbohydrate foods optimally and that's how their bodies thrive. Like it just doesn't work like that. Yeah. And what else do the kidneys do? So that's, they, you know, filter uh, the blood and obviously produce urine and remove waste and toxins mm. and things like that. But what else does it do? Yeah, so they, they balance the fluid and electrolytes. They control the blood's pH, acid balance. You know how um, I guess the trendy thing now is for people to have like alkaline diets and things like that. Uh, yeah. The, all your acid base and your electrolytes really influence your nerve and muscle function and your blood pressure. They have a really, the body's really clever at um, really balancing that really tightly uh, and the kidneys have a huge role in that. So, um, you know, if you've got poor kidney function, you're going to have poor muscle function, poor nerve function, you'll have issues with blood pressure. Uh, and they do that a lot through some of the hormones they produce as well. So they do, most organs in the body produce hormones. They all have their own little sort of suite of hormones that they, they produce. So the, the kidney um, does vitamin D, which lots of people are familiar with, get your sunshine. Um, and that influences calcium and phosphorus, renin. So that's in the human sort of world with the vitamin D. We're familiar with that. The renin for blood pressure um, and erythropoietin for um, red blood cells. So it does its own um, little suite of things. Uh, so it has a bit of a, a bit of a role with all of that. I think it's probably we'll get into it later with the, with the liver. The liver probably challenges the kidney with its, it's got an amazing role with all the things it produces, but, but the kidney is, it's very good at tightly regulating things like blood pressure and fluid balance and acid base. So yeah, quite a few little roles for it. What would be some of the symptoms if you're, some of the symptoms if your cat or your dog is suffering from, you know, kidney issues or even kidney disease? Yeah, so the classic uh, one for me that I see all the time in clinic is a change in thirst. In thirst. So you're, you know how you, you kind of just in the background of your mind know what your cat or dog's normal drinking habits are. You know how like roughly often they go to the bowl to have a drink and when their kidneys are um, not functioning as well, they will do their own version of like a dialysis. So they'll drink more to help flush the toxins out better. And what you'll notice with the kidneys is it, it becomes to a point where it's, it's polydipsia or excessive thirst, and that is 100 mils per kilogram, right? So, so that's excessive. So, 100 mils per kilogram that, is excessive. Excessive. So for a 10-kilogram dog, that's drinking a litre of water a day. So sometimes what I'll do with pet parents is – I'll calculate excessive. So I'm like, okay, your dog weighs this and, and you know, we'll go through that. And then I'll get them to fill the water bowl with that amount of water for the day. And then we see if they finish it. And that's a good way of doing it. Because sometimes you get a, just a, a feeling of it, but you don't know whether they're an excessive or not. Because normal right. is like 30 to 60 mils per kilo. So, you know, roughly half of that. So they'd have to be drinking kind of double what a normal amount would be and obviously kibble fed dogs again back to the 10 percent yeah. thing they're going to drink a lot more water than a fresh fed dog that's about 70 percent water so yeah but you you notice a massive change um to the to the point where they're polydipsic or excessive um thirst and another classic yeah. one is bad breath 
So really classically with the kidney pets, especially the cats, because they tend to get this chronic kidney issue, um, bad breath, and that's because, you know how I was saying, the toxins build up? Yeah. Um, so the bad breath is something that pet parents notice because we're saying how the kidneys remove toxins from the bloodstream. When they're not doing that well, the toxins build up and you can just sort of smell that, so that urea breath. I don't know if you've ever smelled a cat with kidney disease. I just got this awful breath, the poor thing. Um, and then just- what, what's, what, what sort of breath, like an acidic smell to it or yeah, a, a, like, you know, what, what, what kind of smell are we looking at there? It's just quite putrid, to be honest. It's not like okay. um, a, a diabetes sort of breath that's quite sweet. You know how people talk about that kind of ketone sweet breath? It's just foul. Yeah. Just, just bad breath. Okay. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of, I think um, we've been talking about dental month and stuff lately. People don't realise that cats and dogs aren't meant to have bad breath, malodorous breath. We're so attuned to it now, but they're not meant to have bad breath. You should be able to sit next to your dog or cat and it shouldn't have bad breath. That's, yeah, that's I think you're right. I think everyone's just used to their mm. their dog or cat having bad breath. I mean, you know, Frank will get some bad breath if he has sardines. He'll get sardine breath. Yeah, but that's not, you know, exactly, exactly. So, um, and then just general with most organ function, you'll notice that um, you can get a bit of vomiting, a bit of diarrhea, a bit of lethargy. So they're common findings with any sort of organ function issue because the body's just not functioning optimally. Yeah. Okay. What, what do you, what's the straight out treatment? I mean, obviously go see a vet, but what, I mean, and you know, if you're not on a fresh or, or raw diet, certainly look at making that change in the appropriate way, the appropriate uh, transition. Mm. What's the treatment? So if you get, if an animal, a cat or a dog presents to you with, you know, these, this kidney issue or kidney disease, how mm. do you treat it? So first of all, we have to diagnose it. So we run a blood test and that will show elevations in kidney parameters on the bloods. Um, they're different enzymes called urea and creatinine. It's, you know, I guess that's neither here nor there exactly what they are. But we do a blood test and we correlate that with a urine test. So you need blood and urine together to diagnose it. Um, unfortunately, we don't do kidney transplants in Australia. So once you've got kidney disease, it's about managing it. So if it's... Okay. A new one, if it's acute, like say your cat has had lilies, which are toxic, really bad to the kidneys, we'll put them on a drip for three days to try and flush out the toxins and like dialysis in a way. Um, and But if it's chronic kidney disease that's just built up over time, it tends to be more a management thing. So historically we put them on low-protein diets. You know how there's a lot of prescription diets out there with low-protein? Yeah. It's interesting there's less evidence for that now and the protein restrictions not as well proven so you certainly um i guess watch this space on the protein restricted diets you certainly don't start it in the early stages that's a big no-no okay um because protein's so important so important for our pets and i think you know for a long time they just got put on this low protein diet and it hasn't been helpful for their kidneys so um, interestingly, I would strongly encourage anyone who has a pet with kidney degree, a kidney disease to seek an integrative vet because there's actually some amazing Chinese herbs to help yeah, with right. kidney disease. Huh. Yeah, there's got, it's called like Romania, so R-E-H, Romania 6 and 8, um, and they're, they're amazing, really good with kidney disease. Um, so diet restriction, I'll often get a lot of pet parents to get like a water fountain 
So have you seen those water fountains for cat where you plug them into the wall and yeah. they free-flowing water? So there's yeah, just always really running water, yeah. Yeah, you want to encourage as much water intake as you can. That's really, really important for, for cats. So diet, water intake, monitoring bloods, supplements, um, you know, lots of antioxidants and omega-3s, all those things to help reduce inflammation, to help, you know, I guess discourage progression of it. It unfortunately has not a great prognosis, kidney disease. Um, I guess our aim as vets is to hold it steady rather than, you know, you can't really reverse the damage. And you don't tend to see clinical signs of kidney disease until the kidneys are like two-thirds gone. So it's yeah. really... Um, it's really hard. It's it's a really sad is disease. It, I guess all the more reason to look after them to start with, isn't it? Is it painful for the animal? Oh, I think they get nauseous more than anything. Yeah. yeah, I think I find that they just go off their food and get nauseous because of the toxin buildup. So I don't think it's um, – I think they just feel like rubbish. So I think they just feel, you know – uh, but I don't – it's not as painful as some of the other organ conditions. So Okay. Mm. Okay, so that's that's the the kidneys. Are you happy we've touched on the kidneys enough? Do you think we need to talk about that at all uh, anymore? Um, I guess the only other thing I'd point out is that there are some genetic conditions with the kidneys. So some breeds, are, um, cats and dogs, are predisposed to kidney issues. So I would say if you're looking at getting a purebred dog, um, just check if it's a breed that's prone to it and make sure that the um, breeders have done DNA testing for it because kidney disease is is just heartbreaking. So yeah, the last wow. thing you want is to get a beautiful kitten or puppy, and it dies young from a from a juvenile kidney disease because they're they're out there in both cats and dogs, and it's hor- it's horrific. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man, that's terrible. Alrighty, well, let's let's move on to the pancreas because this is a funny one. I. I I know a little bit about what the pancreas does. I reckon Good, a lot. Of, yeah. I, I reckon a lot of people don't know what the pancreas does in in humans, yes, let alone no. animals. And Absolutely. I also I also think that it's one of those organs that that we potentially don't focus on enough, but it is so critical to your bodily function. And if, and if you get it wrong, and your pancreas is you know, either damaged, not functioning, inflamed. Um, it, it, it can be a real cause of, you know, blinding pain, but also horrific chronic illness as well. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, Johnny. I think that, I don't know whether I, go, whether I should go out on such a limb, but I would say it's the, it's the number one organ where you black and white see a massive difference in pets that are fresh fed versus kibble fed um, really? to, as far as i just i literally like to think of patients with pancreatitis that are fresh fed it is so incredibly rare and the same as diabetes i don't see patients really that are fresh fed with pancreatitis and diabetes compared to the um the processed food world it's it's just it's absolutely heartbreaking, um, in my opinion, what processed feeding is doing to our pet's pancreas. It's so just heartbreaking. We've caused that. Humans have caused that in animals, haven't we? These these mm. kinds of chronic chronic mm. illnesses like diabetes and pancreat, pancreatitis, that's caused by us. 
Mm-hmm. That's not a, any anything Absolutely. that the animals have done wrong. No, no, no. And I think probably um, the pancreas can be complicated, but I think we can explain it. Perhaps I'll explain it quite simply as what it what it actually functions to do so that then we can understand because so many people have heard of the term pancreatitis. Everyone knows, everyone knows some dog that's got pancreatitis and there's so many people that are so fearful of pancreatitis because it seems to be once the dogs get it that it's really hard to never get it again. They seem so prone to it and everyone's so paranoid about it. Um, and then everyone knows about diabetes and they're both diseases that are related to the pancreas. But I think if you... If we just explain what the pancreas does, it will help understand why our pets, why the pancreatic, why the pancreas function is so critical, um, and why I guess for me why I'm so passionate about fresh feeding, related to the pancreas function. So, um, if you look at the pancreas, and this is the same in humans as it is in in our pets, it has what we call exocrine and endocrine functions okay exocrine is with our digestive enzymes and bark bicarb so this is how we break down food endocrine is when you're producing hormones so it's probably a little bit irrelevant the whole exocrine endocrine thing but basically it's producing hormones which works with our digestion uh, sorry it's producing hormones <laughs> Which, which does help with our digestion, but through um, insulin, it's all about blood glucose, the hormones, and that's where you get the diabetes. So I think the hormones, the diabetes, the exocrine is producing enzymes, and that's how we really sort of get our um, pancreatitis. So if we look at that, I hopefully I'm explaining this nice and simply for you. Yeah. The um, enzymes to break down food that the pancreas produces, we need to break down the main pillars of our food, which is protein, fat, and carbohydrates. Yeah, that's what the building blocks of food. The pancreas does that through producing proteases, protein, lipases, fat, and amylases, carbohydrates. Yeah, we can get into it. Amylases are a bit controversial as to how much the ability of the cats and dogs, like they've evolved over time. If you look centuries ago, dogs didn't have amylase at all. They couldn't digest carbohydrates but since they evolved a bit they've got a little bit um so protein fat carbohydrates you know protease lipase amylase that's what we do yeah bicarb we can sort of skip to the side it's it's good neutralize the things but let's the digestive enzymes yeah and then with the hormone function we're just controlling blood glucose that's all the pancreas is really doing so you need insulin yeah insulin is released by the pancreas when you have high blood glucose so you eat a meal, your blood glucose goes up, insulin has to run out of the pancreas to try and get the blood glucose, get the glucose out of the bloodstream and into the cells of the body so that it can be used as an energy source. You need to get it out of the bloodstream. If it stays in the bloodstream too long, hyperglycemia becomes quite toxic to all the organs and through changes, vascular changes. The other hormone that it produces is glucagon. Glucagon's released when you have low blood glucose. So insulin, high blood glucose, glucagon, low blood glucose. And then it goes and tells the liver where basically the glucose is sent by insulin to be stored to then come back out and give us some more glucose. So one sending it in, one sending it out. That's all the that's all really the endocrine function of the pancreas is. 
so blood glucose and then digestive enzymes. So it's, it's not that kind of complicated, I guess. Where I think we get into trouble with the processed food is where we're offering our pets really poor quality protein and we're offering them huge levels of carbohydrates. So the even though the body, like even though the, the pancreas can produce some amylase, we're like, it's not designed to produce truckloads of amylase and we're pumping all these carbs in and these rubbish carbs, all these filler carbs. And, and the poor pancreas is like, I think I can, I think I can. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, yeah. I'm really trying guys, but you just got to stop pumping all these carbs into me. Give me some protein and fat. I'm good at that. That's what I've optimally designed to do. Stop pumping me with carbs. And then, and then also what you're doing is the carbs are the ones that turn straight into sugar. So then not only are you then putting all this pressure on the poor pancreas to produce all this amylase that it doesn't even want to do, then all of a sudden you've got this poor pancreas that's got this skyrocket of blood glucose and the poor insulin's going, oh, my God, I've got to get all this glucose out of the bloodstream and into the cells. I can't just keep doing all this insulin time after time after time. And it's just so much stress on this poor pancreas. No wonder you end up with an inflamed pancreas that just gives up producing insulin and you get diabetes, you get pancreatitis. The pancreas is just like, this is rubbish. Just give me some good quality protein. Give me some good quality fat and I'll be fine. A little bit of carbs I can deal with, but stop. Just give me a good diet and take the pressure off me. Anyway, rant over. No, no, no. (laughs) So let me tell you this. As someone who has had um, exposure to people with pancreas issues and spoken to numerous doctors. That's the best I've ever heard a pancreas's function be designed, uh, be, be explained, oh, be explained. Because what, what you've just done for me then is you've actually linked the, the, you've explained the two functions being the exocrine and endocrine enzymes and hormones, but you've actually linked them both together and how one has a flow on effect to the other. Whereas an idiot like me would sit there and think, oh, those two systems operate in silos on their own. But you've just shown to me how a, a, a stress on one system then turns into a stress on the other system, which then turns into an inflamed pancreas. Like mm. you've just properly educated me on the function of a pancreas, which I didn't think I needed, but I absolutely did because that I'd never – drawn I mean I should have but once again I'm an idiot I've never drawn the the link between them two like that so basically I've always thought of the pancreas as a very broad statement something that regulates the sugar levels in your blood which may be true to an extent but what you've just told me then and, and I'm even applying this to my own I'm thinking about my own diet as you're saying that as well as you know my dog's diet that really high uh you know inclusion of crappy carbohydrates just turns your pancreas into a machine that is just operating three, four, five shifts a day when it really shouldn't be. And it's just going to, you know, stop in its tracks at some point, isn't it? Absolutely. It, it does. And I think also what's an interesting point, it might be a nice take home message for humans is that's a lot of the argument for the the simple and the complex carbs, like you're good, you know, with humans, how we're told to eat brown rice instead of white rice and, you know, um, and 
vegetable-based carbs rather than, um, you know, cereal or something like that. It's because it causes such a quick sort of increase in blood glucose and that puts a lot of stress on the pancreas to hurry up and get the insulin. Whereas if you just slowly increase your blood glucose, it's a bit less stress, isn't it, on yeah. the on the pancreas. That's another thing about the quality of the carbohydrates that we're offering humans and and our pets as well. Like it's, I, you know, I don't want people to fear ever touching a carbohydrate at all. Um, you know, it, it's there's nothing wrong. There's a lot of lot of um, vegetable based carbs, but it's yeah. all understanding what we're doing and why we're doing it, the impact of what we're doing. So it's it's the the quality of the product, but also the uh, mix of it in your diet as well. You know what I mean? So it's mm. not, yeah, absolutely. Well, l- let me dial it back again. So y- you spoke about the in- insulin um, being pulled into when there's too much glucose in the blood and the glucogen comes yeah. out when there's not enough. That's, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that the two types of diabetes one where there's too much and one where there's not enough? Um, no. So the diabetes is a little bit tricky. You yeah. can um, – so you've basically got diabetes where you can um, – it just gives up producing insulin. Right. Yeah. So and you then need- you've also got diabetes where it's the insulin stops working. So oh. there can be genetics. So you've got type 1, type 2 – it, um, it gets a little bit complicated, um, but dogs are mainly, I guess, a stereotype of type 1 and, and um, cats are mainly, I guess, a bit of a stereotype of type 2. But it's a little okay. bit, when you're comparing humans and pets, it gets a little bit complicated with the diabetes sort of scenario. Sure. Okay. I think it's fair to say that either type isn't desirable. No. It's not. Poor things. I know it's just horrendous, and um, yeah, the poor pancreas. If you want to know another one of my beefs about the the pancreas, is you know how when um, dogs get pancreatitis, and we're all like low fat diet, low fat diet, low fat diet. Yeah. You know how people talk like really fear fat. Yes. And again, I think that um, if I put my hand on my heart as an integrative vet, I don't think I think a lot of the pancreatitis is caused by like cooked sort of fat, like not good rancid kind of fat and then cheap carbohydrates, that combination. Yeah. Anyway, a lot of what these companies are doing, they reduce the fat, which I get the concept of it, but what they're replacing the fat with is not protein, are they? Because that's expensive. Yeah. They're replacing it with carbs. And and even to the fact that um, I can't remember his name, Robert someone I think did a study and showed that a high-fat diet didn't increase triglycerides or your fat as much as a high carbohydrate diet. So carbohydrates really, we have to be so careful of with, with these poor pancreatitis dogs. Um, So yeah, it's just, there's so much work to be done on pancreatitis, but I would absolutely anyone listening, move your dog or cat with pancreatitis to a fresh food diet. Goodness, please. Is pancreatitis reversible? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, look, so more often than not, I believe it is. Um, sometimes you need to, well, often you need to replace digestive enzymes, which is interesting in how we're talking about that dose of enzyme, lipase, protease, amylase. Yeah. They're in, you know, a lot of probiotic products now have digestive enzymes in them. Yes. 
So that a lot of them have prebiotics, probiotics, digestive enzymes. It's like the little trio of symbiotics these days. So they're replacing some of these poor pancreatic function. So some dogs will need um, pancreatic enzymes for life. There is some controversy around that, whether if you supplement a dog that doesn't need it, whether it will downregulate its own production. So you just have to be a little bit careful. We don't just supplement for the sake of supplementing. Um, But, yeah, it's an interesting interesting one. There are a few genetic conditions where they, like in German Shepherds, you can get this exocrine pancreatic insufficiency where they just genetically don't produce them. So more often than not it's reversible or manageable, I guess, would be the the take home from that. So pancreatitis can be insanely painful in humans. Is it the same oh in goodness. dogs? But yeah, without a doubt, number one sign of um, pancreatitis would be pain for me, yeah. absolutely. So if I see a dog come in vomiting and incredible abdominal pain, pancreatitis is number one on my list for sure. Right. Um, the other thing is because their pancreas isn't functioning properly, you'll often get poor protease, lipase, amylase production. So then you end up with these greasy stools because they're not digesting their fats properly. So poor digestion. Yep. So poor stools, pain, vomiting. Um, They've often got a temperature. So, yeah, it's not – and we diagnose it with either a blood test. So because the pancreas is really angry, it's got no idea what it's trying to do, you'll often have – increased levels of amylase and lipase so we can measure them on the blood on a blood test and also you'll often have increased triglycerides fat so we can measure all those things there's all the other fancy sort of blood tests we can do but basic blood tests that's true um and on ultrasound as well so we'll often not gen- gps generally unless they've got a they're really good ultrasound but you'll sometimes get a specialist to do an ultrasound and you can see the pancreas looks really angry and inflamed yeah um, in the same way as a as the kidney cats, we'll often put them on a drip for a few days to sort of flush out all the toxins and help the pancreas behave a little bit better. What What about with diabetes? Uh, what sort of symptoms can you look out for when you know you, perhaps you think your cat or your dog has diabetes? Yeah, interestingly, um, some similar to the kidneys. So it's really interesting. So you'll often see them drinking a lot more. Yeah. Okay. So excessive urine and thirst. When glucose is out of whack, it just just sends the whole body into disarray. It's terrible. So excessive drinking, excessive thir- uh, urination. The absolute opposite with diabetes is the um, to kidneys is that diabetic dogs will be really hungry they've often got real they're really hungry but they're losing weight whereas kidney cats and dogs just feel like rubbish and just don't eat um both will be weak and both will sort of lose weight so yeah it's often hunger and and sometimes you'll have the the sweet sort of breath um so but yeah both of them can happen suddenly which is really hard um, sometimes the main sign we see of diabetes in dogs is uh, sudden onset cataracts really r- randomly. So they can get cataracts when your glucose isn't being balanced very well and sometimes pet owners will miss some of the early signs and they suddenly get cataracts. So they'll come in for just suddenly going blind. It sounds like almost the exact same symptoms that humans get with diabetes. That, that mm, thirst, that yeah. frequent urination, those cravings for food, eye issues... Mm-hmm. You know that that's yeah. that's all um, consistent with human 
uh, symptoms of diabetes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we manage it the same way too. We we give them insulin. So yeah, so pet owners have to inject. Um, most of the insulins you give twice a day. There's a couple that you do once a day, um, okay. but they'll have to inject their cat or dog for the rest of their life unless they cats can go into remission because as I was saying a bit earlier, we won't go into it because it's way too long detail, but they can be a bit more type 2, a bit more human-like. Right. So if you reverse it, they can actually go into diabetic remission and not need um, not need insulin. So, okay. yeah, but dogs, no. Once they've got it, they've got it. Can let's say someone presents to you, they've been on a highly processed diet, the the dog, and you've diagnosed that as the diet type one diabetes. You're injecting insulin twice a day, or that the owner is. Then they've decided to transition onto a completely raw and fresh diet. Will that assist the symptoms and and reduce symptomatic issues that the dog will have from those diabetes from that diabetes? Yeah, absolutely. And you can't, you have to do, you have to be quite careful changing diets with diabetics because their insulin dose, it has been um, controlled by the vet and, and dispensed and diagnosed and, and prescribed based on their diet and how their glucose is being managed. So you can't suddenly change a diet in a diabetic without speaking to your vet. So definitely speak to your vet. Um, about that one, if your vet's not open to fresh food feeding, find an integrative vet. Um, okay. And you're, what you'll have to do is you'll have to monitor their blood glucose as you transition to the diet. So you do it really slowly, as you would with lots of diet changes. You probably go even a bit slower yeah, than you bit, would with a normal one. A bit slower, huh? Okay. Yeah, um, and I also tend to put them on, um, I'd support the pancreatic function even with probiotics, digestive enzymes, all that sort of stuff as well, even though I guess it's diabetes and we're talking about the endocrine function, I would still support the pancreas exocrine function. So, um, And I know the other thing which is super interesting about the pancreas is, and I know Narelle um, has mentioned this, it's really interesting to consider actually supplementing them with pancreas so feeding them pancreas like for like you know if you've got a kidney disease perhaps you should feed more kidney if you've got a pancreas disease feed more pancreas liver liver you know you're kidding me really um is well if you look at the joint supplements we feed them joint extracts don't we yeah i think chondroitin comes from and stuff like that yeah it makes sense i was listening to it um to narel recently and the penny sort of dropped and i was like that's actually really true isn't it yeah that that makes a hell of a lot of sense Okay, well, yeah. we, we, we've touched on the kidneys and the pancreas. I think we need to have a talk about the liver. Tell me what the, the, the liver and the dog does. What does a dog's liver do? Oh, my goodness. The liver, a lot, a yeah. lot. The liver is like the just, gosh, how could you even give enough emphasis to a liver? The liver really is the powerhouse <laughs> of the body to the point where I think that organic beef liver is the most nutrient dense food in that there is like animal based food i'm so sure that's correct so it's it's so incredibly nutrient dense it's just amazing so it has i guess it has its functions but it has so many health benefits eating it too so another place where we're so lucky is um 
pet owners that feed fresh is we there's almost always liver in a fresh food diet isn't there so yeah. whenever you include organ meats it's usually half liver and then half another sort of secreting organ it's just so powerful so it like the kind of like the kidney is it's um filtering or detoxification it's got detoxification properties so it's detoxifying the blood so what it basically does say you have a drug or a toxin or you have something that's quite harmful the liver will then um convert it into something less harmful so it, it basically helps the body to handle nasty things that are going on by making them less nasty so we need the liver to be able to do that we really need the liver to be able to do that um but then it, you don't want to overwhelm its ability to do that and because it will store some of even these less nasty things that it's turning it into it'll still store a lot of these products so that's why people worry about flea and tick prevention and um, chemical floor cleaners and the cats rolling around on the floor and licking their paws after they touch you know you've wiped the floor with bleach and stuff like that all these toxins that, that the body's taking in puts pressure on the liver to convert them to something less toxic and then filter them out. But we also have to remember that the liver will often store these less harmful forms. And just because they're less harmful, they're often still harmful. Um, so they're not, it's not amazing just to be like, okay, well, fine, if the liver's working, we can just do whatever we like, eat whatever we like, it doesn't matter. It, they, those less harmful forms still build up. So we don't want to rely on that but it's amazingly sophisticated how it does that um, and it's such a critical role for the liver or we would not be able to sort of detoxify our body um, so that's really really critical and then I guess the next thing it, it does is that it um, has this ability to get the nutrients from the food we eat so we, we talked about how the pancreas before has your, your proteins your lipase all that sort of stuff well it's good to be able to break it down, but we actually need to be able to convert it into um, energy and process and store it. And that's where the liver plays with the pancreas, but it has a bigger role even in to really digest all this food we're having into these building blocks that we can actually use for energy, we can use for cell function, we can use to make hormones, we can use for everything the body does, it needs a liver. You just, you cannot... Um, you cannot rely on on a liver protein synthesis. Um, your we were talking about before the pancreas when it re releases glucagon, it goes and tells the liver to convert sorry glycogen into glucose. Glucagon, glycogen, and glucose are really confusing to say it really quickly. Yeah. But it just it stores everything. It helps break down everything it's it's involved in anything and everything even immune function like the liver is so important for immune function so when you have foreign bacteria that comes through the the bloodstream we need the liver to recognize that and to help us we need when your your blood cells are breaking down and they're rubbish and they're still circulating we need the liver to take them out and to clean it up it really it's kind of like a, I don't know, it just, it just is, it screens the whole body of everything it's doing and cleans it up. It's like a rubbish tip. It's, it's an amazing filter, the, the liver. So what does a high processed diet do to your liver? Um, it, I guess the best explanation is it just puts a lot of pressure on it. So if you're um, feeding poor quality protein, 
then that makes it harder for your body to break down. You can hear pudding in the background here. She's very <laughs> naughty, this one. Um, so if you're feeding poor quality protein, then your body has more trouble breaking it down and what it produces is even not as good quality to get energy from. So you're just putting pressure on it. If you're feeding poor quality protein and poor quality carbs, a lot of the time that comes with inflammation. The, the liver's then got to process that um, the rubbish, the inflammation, and then that's asking the liver to do more work. Whereas if you feed beautiful fresh food, it's all this like, I sort of just think of it like dancing in the fields. The liver's just like, oh, this is nice. We just sort of, a, you know, we nice, neat processing. We just absorb our nutrients. We store it. We get them back. But, like, it's almost like compared to sort of if you're in like this really noisy rave where there's just so much noise going on and it's just like so much work for the liver to just get all that noise out of the way and try and find something useful to get out and, and make energy from. So Only you, Dr. Nicole. Own. Only you could <laughs> could dis- describe a, a, a struggling liver as like being in a rave. That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I make it. Do you like how I just come out with these things on the spot? Oh, <laughs> that was that was absolutely brilliant. And it, you know, it, it actually made me go, "Oh no, I don't want my liver to be in a rave." <laughs> <laughs> uh, what what a wonderful way to to describe that. So, what what are some of the symptoms that an animal may present with if it's got a dodgy liver or a liver that's um, you know, being overworked and being worked too hard to the point where it's actually having an effect. What does that do to, do to a body? So I, I feel like there's a couple of different ways that I see issues with the liver. The first thing is if you've got real liver issues, then you'll see some really similar signs to the kidney and the pancreas. You'll see excessive thirst. Um, you'll see lethargy. You can see some vomiting. Um But interestingly, I guess another real cohort of issues that I see to do with the liver um, is more actually related to the quality of the diet we're feeding because the liver is like your powerhouse of all your nutrients. It's also very sensitive to being fed a poor quality diet. So if you don't have if you don't have enough zinc in the diet and an iron and copper and your B vitamins that's going to play on the liver because that's they all come from the liver. So if the liver and and all these essential nutrients and essential vitamins that the body can't make itself, it needs to get them from food. Um, right. And and then you've got to think about synthetic nutrients and vitamins it's getting versus real food based nutrients and vitamins. So they're going to impact the liver as well. So if you're not giving good quality B vitamins that the, the liver needs. Um, you're going to see more stress dogs if you're not give, giving enough zinc for the liver to to function and to store and to utilise. You might get behavioural issues, allergies. If you're not giving enough iron, you might get concentration issues, copper, energy, um, you know, potassium. You might even get bone issues. Like it, it's take your pick. It it really the liver needs a good quality diet with um, nutrients that can be absorbed optimally and utilised to function to function optimally. It, it really does rely on good quality diet. But a lot of the pet owners wouldn't see it's subtle. It can be really subtle, the liver. Like I don't, I think most pet parents wouldn't be able to recognise some really subtle changes um, in 
I guess the way the body's functioning just based on on the liver. So yeah, it's a it's a really challenging one, I guess. Even the, for vets, vets as well. The 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 liver in humans can repair itself to an extent. Obviously, it gets to a point where it can't, but the, but it does have those regenerative qualities. Is is it the same in cats mm. and dogs? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, the liver's really good. You can take a huge chunk out of it if you need to like if you had a liver tumor or something like that you can cut it out and the liver still has lots of ability to work and do its own thing so it's a pretty it's a pretty sophisticated and amazing organ quite poorly understood um and it's so clever and sophisticated we get away without looking after it really well it has a, a really good ability to to be okay but when it's functioning beautifully as, as I said, you, you go from the rave to the to the prancing through flower fields and things. So <laughs> Give me the flower fields any day. So those three organs that we've discussed here, they're, they're almost like at the risk of sounding blasphemous, the holy trinity of the uh, places that you can really affect badly by feeding a terrible diet. Would that be right? So, yeah, no, the pancreas and liver and kidney, they're the really important ones that I think just absolutely benefit from feeding fresh food and the the processed diets just don't look after them. So they really do impact day-to-day function. Uh, for and it's so important that pet parents know that. Look, that, that this has been an incredibly informative chat, uh, Dr Nicole. I think what you've done is really broken down the function of each of the organs that we've discussed being the the kidney, the pancreas and the liver. But you've also talked about the, the impact a um, less than desirable diet will have on it. But also, you know, you, you've spoken about how, the, how that in most cases that change in diet will, you know, maybe not cure issues, but it will improve symptom, symptoms and, and improve the function of those organs as well you know no matter what stage you catch it at you know, as you said some of that kidney disease is incurable some of those diabetes is incurable but a fresh raw healthy diet is going to mm. ease those symptomatic issues would that be fair to say absolutely without a doubt no you summarized it very well johnny well there we go well look um this has been to be honest, in a, from a selfish point of view, this has been really educational for me too. So uh, if if I feel like I've learned something, then job done. I think you've provided whoever's listening to this with such an amazing framework to, to move forward and understand how their animals' insides are functioning, but also the impact of what they're putting into their animals' mouths is affecting those, uh, you know, really critical organs. Oh, I'm so pleased to hear it, Johnny. I love just breaking it down for pet parents. So it's been a really fun chat. Loved it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Dr. Nick, where can people find uh, you out there in the land of the internet machine? What do they go to? Where do they search? So uh, we have websites, so shytiger.com.au and montalbertvet.com.au on Instagram at montalbertvet, at shytigerhealth and at Dr. Nicole Rouse and on uh, Facebook the same and then also on TikTok at drnicolerouse.vet. Hey, quick one. You spoke about being an integrated vet. Now, if someone isn't within the proximity of Mont Albert, uh, you know, do you have a, I guess, a, a directory of similar integrated vets or different places around the country? Can people hit you on socials and say, hey, 
I'm in um, Queensland or I'm in northern New South Wales. Do you have do you have any? Are you happy to give them some direction on, you know, places to go to which may provide a similar service to you? Absolutely. Always welcome to send me a DM for sure. Otherwise, if you go to the CIVT, the Centre of Integrative Veterinary Therapies, there's a directory there for all integrative vets and they can just um, search where they live and it should come up with a vet that has integrative skills. So that's the Centre for Integrated Vets Online, yeah? Yeah, CIVT.edu.au, I think it is. That's top of my head. Fantastic, Dr. Nicole. That was a great chat. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure talking to you. It's informative. It's engaging. And um, I always think that we, we're producing a, a lovely chat for the people out there in listener land and we're giving them real-life, genuine tools and information to go away and look after their pets better with. So thank you. Thank you. It was lots of fun, Johnny. Always is. I reckon uh, if you're out there listening, get on the platform you're listening on and give myself and Dr. Nicole a five-star rating because you know what? We've earned it. We deserved it. We've got these brick backgrounds going on, so we've pulled out all stops. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You've just heard where to hit Dr. Nicole on uh, emails and socials, but if you have any questions regarding anything that we've spoken about today, please get onto the Big Dog Pet Foods website or you can send an email to customercare.com at bigdogpetfoods.com. That's customer care, just one word, at bigdogpetfoods.com. There will be another episode of Pause and Listen uh, coming up soon, but thanks for stopping by on this one. My name's Johnny. The amazing guest on the other end has been Dr. Nicole Rouse, the co-founder of Shy Tiger and the owner of Montalbert Vet uh, Clinic there in Victoria. Dr. Nicole, let's sign this one off. It's been another cracker. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information and content, visit the Big Dog Pet Foods website. Please note that the information discussed in these podcasts is general in nature and has been provided in good faith for educational and informational purposes only. The information provided is not, nor is it intended to be, a substitute for professional advice or care. If any of the topics discussed raise questions or concerns for you regarding the health of your pet, we recommend that you consult your veterinarian or trusted pet health provider for an individual assessment and advice. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.